Hello, welcome to Cannabis Marketing Live. I am your host, Jake Litke, the CEO of MediaGel. Today we have Len May on the show. Uh, Len has, uh, as you can see, uh, quite a bit of rock and roll history. That's not what we're going to be talking about today, although I am going to ask some questions about the pictures on your wall at some point. Uh, we're going to be talking about the genetics of cannabis. So, Len, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and what your company is and what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, thanks, Jake. Appreciate it. Uh, so, I'm Len May, as you said, and the CEO and co-founder of a company called Endocana Health. Uh, what we do, we're a health technology company. So we use DNA to guide people to a personalized experience, uh, looking at their full endocannabinoid system. And yes, we're focusing on phytocannabinoids, uh, but we're also looking at the entire genome. So we're able to look at personalized nutrients, vitamins, anything that's looking at precision therapeutics or precision medicine. Um, I've been in space for 26 or whatever many years. Uh, it's not only as a patient, uh, not only as an activist that was the president of the Cannabis Action Network, I was an owner and operator of dispensaries, delivery services, but my passion has always been the therapeutic properties of the plant. And the thing that I was trying to solve is why two people can consume the same cultivar and have a completely different experience. And I actually thought it had a lot to do with the plant genetics itself, but uh, over time, it has to do a lot with the plant genetics our genetics gets really complicated. There's a lot of different factors. So that's what the idea is to solve this for people. So people would know what to take so they can help to mitigate or avoid an adverse event, how much to take so we can dose specifically for those individuals, and then actually product suggestions as well. Great. So I'm going to uh, ask you some questions about words that you're using that not everyone <laughs> might know. So uh, first off, Endo versus phyto. Uh, maybe you could explain that real quick because it's. Uh, I think a lot of people don't even really understand how much they're, how much you have on the endo side, right? Yeah, I, I appreciate it, Jake, because my dad always tells me if you're using these words, you got to define for people. Don't expect that people know. So I'm glad you you brought that up. So endo means inside. We produce that internally within ourselves. Phyto means comes from the plant. So we have an endocannabinoid system that produces our own endogenous, another word that means within, also we're creating that, ourselves endogenous endocannabinoids. So they're just neurochemicals. And the plant produces its own uh, properties. There are phytocannabinoids that actually have, we have receptors in our bodies for the plant to be able, uh, for us to be able to receive those from the plant, bind to our receptors that are within our bodies and release our own neurochemicals, endogenous endocannabinoids. So neurochemicals can be like, uh, I don't know, an example would be cocaine, right? So any drug, any, uh, anything you take, not, not that we're having a conversation about, you know, illicit drugs, but I'm saying cocaine is used as medicine. We consume cocaine, it binds your dopamine receptor and squirts a bunch of dopamine uh, from your brain into your bloodstream. Well, that same thing when you consume phytocannabinoids in the plant, binds your receptors, your, um, your uh, cannabinoid receptors and squirts anandamide, which is an endogenous endocannabinoid. Uh, the word anam means bliss in Sanskrit. So this is the molecule that makes us feel euphoric or high, quote unquote. And then uh, 2-AG is the other one. And that's more your, your body, your immune system, your digestive system, et cetera. That's what we naturally release. And we have deficiencies that we don't produce in ourselves uh, 
uh, we're lucky that we found this plant in nature can actually help to uh, bridge those gaps that we naturally have. And on the deficiency front, obviously everyone's body is different. Um, what is this, the spectrum of someone who maybe is very deficient versus not deficient at all? Um, and and the, as far as the research goes, and I do know that we have been sort of crippled for a long time by not being able to do research, which is slowly changing. Um, there's still a lot of things that are unknown, but given the book of knowledge we have today, what is that spectrum for someone who has almost none versus a lot, or am I even describing it the correct way? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there, there are very little uh, that we have to measure what the amount of endogenous endocannabis an ind individual has. You can get them in certain fluid that's within your brain, but it's very invasive procedures. So what we can go by is twofold. Number one, we can go historically. Uh, when cannabis was, uh, before prohibition, cannabis grew and animals would eat, even if it's hemp derived or hemp, animals would eat it, it would be in our food supply, it would be in our water supply. And then after prohibition, we started seeing that there are certain uh, conditions that have been expressed due to the fact of, and there's research on that, to certain deficiencies in endogenous endocannabinoids. Now, having said that, there are also internal uh, challenges that actually control the experience based on metabolic function and based on genetics. So if people have a predisposition and they have, there's a gene called uh, FA, fatty acid amidahydrolase. And I know I'm getting sciencey, but I'll explain and, and, uh, and explain why this is important. That gene produces an enzyme that actually breaks down or metabolizes anandamide. So people that have this genetic predisposition actually are producing less anandamide than the average person. And you're looking at about 52% of the population, give or take, that has this predisposition. So you actually have about half of the population that is actually making less anandamide than what the other half of the population is. So looking at their genetic predispositions can help determine what internally they may be uh, metabolizing or, uh, or breaking down and having less or more of. All right. So measuring it sort of in vitro is not effective or at least sounds painful and annoying. Um, and this comes into your approach, right? So going into looking at the actual genetics uh, and epigenetics of individuals. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. So the idea is we met with the FDA. They said, what is the purpose of your work? What is the purpose of your test? And we said to help people either avoid or mitigate a possible adverse event. Well, what's an adverse event? Well, this gene that I just talked about, FA, fatty acid amyhydrolase, people that have this predisposition actually have predispositions to things like stress reactivity, PTSD, slow rate of fear extinction. So these are the people that you may have met or heard or talked to that say, I can't really consume cannabis. It makes me stressed. It makes me feel anxious. Well, what makes you feel anxious? Well, cannabis. Well, can you be more specific? Well, that's a whole, <laughs> what do you put in your body? Well, I'm not sure. Well, first of all, you should know what you put in your body. And THC has a very narrow therapeutic window. And we're in this uh, cycle of cannabinoids that we're starting to focus on high amounts of, uh, of THC that actually, you know, can trigger those uh, epigenetic responses to your genetic predisposition of anxiety and stress, adverse events. So this is what we're trying to mitigate for people to show them they may have a genetic predisposition towards having an adverse effect. 
And now you can mitigate that by reducing the amount of THC, maybe increasing the amount of CBD and changing your terpene profiles based on research that has been done. The certain terpenes may, uh, may be more sedative, may be more relaxing, may be more calming. And if you have that type of uh, uh, formulation or that is your recipe, now you can go find products that actually fit your sweet spot and then you actually know how to dose correctly based on your genetic information as well. And that's what we're, that's what we're focusing on. So one part of it is like your GPS, right? So you're looking at your ways of cannabis. These are the potholes in the road. This is where the traffic jam is. This is what we want to avoid. The other part of it is looking at the expression. Well, now that you have the formulation that work, that's working for you, now let's have thousands of people look at that uh, using that formulation and measure the efficacy. And what are we measuring efficacy of? Well, we're measuring that those genetic predispositions aren't expressed epigenetically. That's one. Number two, we're looking at patient-reported outcome. So how is that working for you individually? Number three, we're integrating biometric feedback. And what I mean by that is your wearable device. So if you have a Fitbit, you have an Aura Ring, you have a Garmin, all that's data and it's anonymized data. So we're not looking at you know Jake's personal information. It's all de-identified. The goal is to use machine learning to be able to start making predictive inferences. So what I want to know is what's working for me and what works for people that are similar to me. You know, it's it's interesting. You, you go by, I had an experience with uh, a friend of mine. We were getting ski pants on Amazon. So I'm 5'8", uh, 175 pounds. Uh, he's taller, like 6'1", maybe, skinnier but we're both wear medium. Well, we both bought medium pants and my pants are a little long. His pants are a little short. Well, but we both bought medium. So how do we get to a point where we're actually having our own queue of our own products that are specific to us, truly a personalized experience in therapeutics. And that's the way I, I feel that medicine should be done in the first place. Yeah. And so um, it's, you know, it sounds like there's there's a lot of science and analysis that you and your team are providing to what what I would describe as maybe a, a simple to describe outcome. And, and let's use an example of you said THC has a narrow range of efficacy. Um, a little bit can help certain conditions. A lot of bit can, uh, you know, you can have a, a bad trip, man. Um, so uh, let's take edibles because that's an easiest, the easiest thing for people to measure dosage, right? <laughs> Even though I know that they express differently inside of your body, it's it's kind of difficult to say what is a puff or a toke. But if we take an edible and we take uh, a common dosage that you would see like a five milligram increment, five, 10, 15, you get a lemonade for a hundred. Um, <laughs> but uh, what would be a common, like uh, like the, uh, the bottle of aspirin says take two, right? Yeah. Um, if you were going to say the the most common dosage level that may have efficacy just for THC all by itself without CBD, is it uh, is it these five milligrams? Is is it always going to be the case unless someone has a high tolerance? So like twenty milligrams is almost never going to do good things for you. How yeah. does that? Work? Yeah. So <clears throat> edibles are an interesting thing, and I'll, I'll try to put together a scenario and I'll give you an example. So when we consume THC through our first pass, when we eat it, it goes to our liver and you mentioned there's a conversion. So your liver converts uh, delta-9 THC to 11-oxyhydroxide delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol THC. So that then goes from the liver 
back to your bloodstream and binds to those receptors. It can be five to 50 times more powerful than combustible or sublingual THC. So besides looking at your metabolic function, edibles can have that effect on people. Now, the thing that's important for dosing edibles is how you metabolize. So there's basically three different buckets and also what type of THC you consume. So somebody can be a poor metabolizer, they can be a rapid metabolizer, they can be a normal metabolizer, there's also an intermediate metabolizer. So you can put those people in those buckets. So the, the poor metabolizers would look at the five milligram or maybe even less than five milligram, the average metabolizer or somewhere in the, in the 10 uh, milligram, and then you're getting up to 20 and above. Some people, ultra-rapid metabolizers, they've consumed, you know, 20, 30, up to 100, and still, uh, you know, are able to function. Now, th the challenge is that you're actually missing that therapeutic window. So just because you're not feeling as euphoric or as high as you may want to, it doesn't mean that that THC isn't doing what it's supposed to do. So now you actually have a free radical of an andamite that's flowing in your bloodstream and your immune system can overreact to that. So some people can you know, have inflammatory reactions, et cetera. So have an understanding that where is my dosing based on metabolic function is really important. The other thing is drug interaction or supplements. Certain uh, medications that people consume, people call us all the time, uh, that they're on their SSRIs, their serotonin reuptake inhibitors, uh, antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication. They're saying, I want to get off this medication by using CBD. Okay, well, if that's the case, uh, they're taking them together. And actually, you're inhibiting your SSRI or you can induce the SSRI. So, so you need to understand if you're taking your prescription medication, and we do that as well, uh, maybe you need to weight and stagger. How long you stagger? Well, it depends on how you metabolize. So people that are ultra rapid metabolizers, may they wait 30, 40 minutes. People are poor metabolizers, may they wait for several hours. Uh, here's the other caveat to that. How are you taking your THC? You mentioned gummy. Well, most gummies are isolated THC molecules. So there's three different pathways. Once again, geeky science, but there's a series of genes called cytochrome P450. Each one of these genes produces an enzyme that metabolizes something in our bodies. There's one specific for gluten. There's ones for uh, lactose. And there's three specific ones for cannabinoids. Uh, CYP2C9, that metabolizes THC. CYP2C19, that metabolizes CBD. And CYP3A4, that metabolizes CBD and THC together. So if you're eating a gummy, and it's an isolated THC molecule, well, guess what? Now you have a different enzymatic pathway that's metabolizing that. So if you're a poor metabolizer of THC, but your normal metabolizer of CBD and THC together, you may want to go with a full spectrum product because you'll, you'll metabolize it differently. Okay, so I'm going to sum up all of that with that <laughs> there is no easy button for this. And there's not really a solution that you can just say, here's a bottle, take two of these, call me in the morning you need a more analytical approach and it needs to be more individualized. And that's, I think, why you're doing what you're doing. And maybe you can spend a little time talking about um, what, your, what your technology does. And I'll use technology in a broad sense because you're using a combination of research and software and data analysis. Um, how does it work? Like, where I, what, tell me about it. Well, I, 
I, technology is probably the right way to describe it because we are the first company that actually received a patent on our technology. And the patent, and I'm going to paraphrase the patent. So the patent is actually for the use of DNA to uh, guide people to re recommendations and suggestions around their endocannabinoid system presented in a graphical user interface. That's what our patent is for. So the way that it worked is uh, when we first launched in December of 2017, the first six months, all we did was research. So we looked at every single gene or single nucleotide polymorphism uh, that is directly or indirectly associated with your endocannabinoid system. Once we did that, we had to get references. So every single report that we have in EndoDNA has to have a peer-reviewed reference of PubMed or PubMed equivalent. Not only did we build it on references, but we also built an algorithm that uses machine learning AI to go out and find new studies. So as new studies become available, so it's always dynamically updating. As new studies become available, we'll add that and the report will be updated. Uh, the next step in the process is we approach a company called Illumina. Illumina makes sequencing equipment, uh, genetic sequencing equipment, and we asked them to make a chip for us. So they made a chip, Jessica, you would a computer chip. That chip is used to be able to find the genetics, the genes on in your saliva uh, and show you what is your combination of what is your genotype. Uh, so we build a chip. Uh, we right now genotype about 675,000 SNPs. Um, so not just, uh, they're directly or indirectly associated with the endocannabinoid system. And then once we did that, we validate our assay, we create our kit. So currently we get DNA material two ways. Number one is our endoDNA test. It's a buckled swab. So it's a big Q-tip. You swab inside your cheek. We're a HIPAA, we're GDPR compliant. You register that. You would then ship that to our lab. And we're a global company, so you can do that anywhere in the world. Uh, and or if you've already taken your 23andMe, if you're taking your Ancestry.com, any other DNA test, you can take your results, your report, upload it to uh, endodna.com. We'll translate that in 30 seconds or less and provide your report. And the report really looks at symptomatic conditions. So unless a doctor orders it, direct to consumer looking at symptomatic conditions, not diseases. So examples would be like anxiety, cognitive function, uh, mood and behavior, pain and nausea, sleep. And I will give you a, uh, a report that looks at your genotypes based on those symptomatic conditions. And then from there, we would show you uh, if you have a predisposition, it's color-coded, green means there is no predisposition. Yellow means there's one report that says you may, and red means there's multiple, so exponentially higher chance of that symptomatic condition expressing itself. Then we'll look at drug-to-drug -drug interaction. We look at your predispositions to THC side effects, so adverse effects of THC. We'll look at dosing based on metabolic function, and we'll give you a ratio of cannabinoids and terpenes that should be more aligned with you. But we take that even one step further. We, then we use a marketplace. We use certificates of analysis from different manufacturers. Anybody who's uh, in, in the business and has a certificate of analysis test result, we'll run that through an algorithm and we'll show you how close that product matches the suggested ratio. So now you can go in and see if it's a hemp-derived product, you can order online. If it's uh, more than 0.3% THC, 
then that product uh, is available in whatever state uh, you have. But you can go in with your recipe, basically your secret sauce, and say, which products do you have that match that? And then the follow-up is the feedback loop mechanism that I described. So now we're looking at efficacy of that formulation, how well that's working for the individual, and we're using machine learning to, to make better predictive inferences. Okay, so um, you have bundled up a lot of knowledge um, into what seems to be a simple process. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, if, if you already have a DNA test or you have your DNA, that, that is usable as well, right? Like that's yeah, so if you have your 20, the way that it works, say you've taken your 23andMe or your ancestry, you would download your raw data, which is basically a spreadsheet. You can do that from any one of those sites. And then you would take that spreadsheet uploaded uh, to our site. We'll translate that and provide your report in 30 seconds. That's amazing. And so we're looking at a combination of, when you look at a COA, you're going to get THC, CBD, maybe other minor cannabinoids, um, but you don't generally get terpenes, right, from a COA. Obviously, you know, if you uh, have some experience, you can kind of smell them, uh, which kind of leads me to a, a, a question I have for you. Uh, I know numerous people that are, you know, experienced cannabis consumers that are, are pretty convinced that they can smell flour and based on the smell, they can do basically like sort of a gut reaction, sort of relying on the on the neurons in your gut to tell your body, to tell your brain that, yes, I like this or no, I don't like this. And it's beyond whether it smells sweet or sour, but there's all those complex olfactory things going on. What's your take on on the smell test of, of humans ability to just think that they can smell it out? I mean, 100 percent. I'm one of those people. Dr. Ethan Russo uh, just wrote about this. And uh, so I'm in California, I'm in LA. We don't have the luxury of smelling anything anymore. They're all sealed bags, sealed packages. I was just in Denver and you're absolutely right about terpene testing. I 100% believe it should be a standard, industry standard to test for terpenes because some of the terpenes actually have affinity for receptor binding like beta caryophyllene. And there's plenty of studies associated with that. But terpenes themselves, when you smell a ratio of uh, those terpenes, and you have that, and the smell is pretty good, you probably are getting the, the ratio of terpenes that are more aligned with you. And then <clears throat> if you train your nose how to do this over time, you can start smelling like floral, you can start smelling citrus, you can start smelling uh, musky, skunky, and you know what the association of that is. So if it's smelling, uh, you know, fruity, uh, lemony, that's limonene, that sort of gives you a boost up. If you're smelling skunky or diesel, that's mercy. That's usually sedative and something that smells like clove. And you, you can start smelling that because all terpenes are found in nature anyway. And plants produce essential oils. You understand a lavender has a certain smell. You buy candles, you buy essential oils. Well, guess what? If that smells similar to what it's in your cannabis, that's linalool. So once you start associating that, and it's not that difficult to be able to associate that because you do that with essential oils anyway, you can start saying that there may be an alignment to what's right for me. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, that at least is maybe indicative on, on some level. It'd be interesting to see how the science unpacks that. Um, it would also be interesting to see how um, it's not really epigenetic, I guess it'd be more psychological, which is that if at some point in your life, you've been exposed to a certain smell in a negative context, and now your your brain is like, oh, I don't like that smell because I used to work 
at a restaurant that smelled like that and I didn't like yeah. my boss, but uh, does, you know, that maybe that overrides your natural smell test. I don't know. I'm ready to do a study. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, I, that, I don't know how we would do that, but we can talk about that later maybe. Um, okay. So all of this is an effort, I, I believe, to give consumers products that are going to work better for them. Um, right. right now we exist in an environment where you're basically unless you have a fair amount of experience and even then you're kind of like rolling the dice whenever you buy products um, and, and on multiple levels, not just what is the, is it sativa versus indica? Is it a strain or cultivar? And let's talk about that in just a second, but, um, and how those things may not even be the same, but ultimately um, a lot of people that are looking for guidance are relying on advice from, from bud tenders who let's just assume that they're good natured right? And they're trying to deliver a product they think will like, and, and they may ask some questions about, are you looking for energy? Are you looking for sedation? But without them understanding the genetics of the person they're talking to, they're not really able to give accurate advice. Am I correct on that? It's a really interesting industry. Think about it. Where else, what other industry takes a therapeutic product, entrusts that to one person who has no uh, training in this. I mean, they're butt tender. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from butt tenders because they help run our dispensaries. So when I used to have those, but they're also have influence. There are, there are companies that are actually using butt tenders to help with street teams and promotion of products. So how do you know that that's genuine? Maybe that's a product that this butt tender really likes for themselves, or maybe they're compensated to recommend that product. How do you know that? And you really have an industry that doesn't have a direct line to, you know, some states do have pharmacists, some countries have pharmacists. If you have a pharmacist there, they can make a better recommendation. It makes sense. But you actually have a butt tender to do that. And without knowing their genetic predispositions, without knowing their past history, you know, that can create some challenges. I'll give you two examples. Uh, there was a Grandma Mary. So Grandma Mary, I talk about this in my presentations. Uh, she was diagnosed with cancer. She went to a dispensary and she uh, was given some uh, some gummies. And uh, I guess 60, whatever many years ago, uh, she had a brownie somewhere and had a pretty intense experience. But, you know, time she forgot. Uh, so she took one gummy, waited for a while and waited some more you know this story didn't goes. take any more didn't take any more but then oh. she started feeling she started feeling anxious well you know thc is a vasodilator It'll dilate your blood vessels your heart will pump faster this is normal but if you have predispositions to stress reactivity and ptsd here's what can happen number one it can trigger that stress reactivity gene so now you're secreting more cortisol in your bloodstream your fight or flight starting to kick in ptsd uh, uh, gene kicks on. Now you're saying, oh shit, I do remember that experience that I had 60 years ago. So now you may be reliving it again. And she said she got such an intense experience. She started hallucinating. She was high for like two days. This is off one gummy. And uh, now Which gummy who knows, <laughs> who knows it was 10, <laughs> who knows it was 10 milligram. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what it was. I think it was in Arizona, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know what, what was in that gummy, but let's say it was 10 milligrams the way it's supposed mm -hmm. to be. So if I looked at her genetic profile, so first of all, this is what happened. Number one, she went back and said, no more of this. I'm never putting this in my body again. It doesn't work. It actually makes me feel bad. 
Number two, she told everybody else in her assisted living facility, stay away from devil's lettuce. So think about this. One experience that's a negative experience or an adverse experience can actually lead to a person not uh, moving forward and addressing their, their needs, but also spreading this propaganda because they had this uh, negative experience or, uh, in themselves. So if I looked at her genetic profile, which I did, number one, she was a poor metabolizer. So eating THC probably wasn't the best idea. Number two, she had all those genes that I mentioned, and she also had genetic predisposition for uh, psychosis-like effects. So basically, through all that stress, it triggered a disassociative experience. Once we dialed in uh, her formulation, which was a lot more CBD, a lot uh, less THC, a complete different terpene profile, sublingual delivery, so like a tincture, uh, she actually was going around where she was getting her chemo. She was going around giving her business cards to people and saying, oh my God, this is working so well for me. You have to call these people. So that's that's an experience that people deal with every day. There's an article that just came out recently. And by the way, I'm a huge proponent of cannabis. So I'm not saying this in a negative way, but there's an article that came out, the hospital visits for older people in California have increased by over a thousand percent. And one of the reasons is because when California, I believe, when California went recreational or adult use, whatever you want to call it, the amount of THC in products have, has uh, steadily increased. So there are so many different DAB uh, products and, and concentrates and all these other things. There's very little uh, therapeutic products, not as many one-to-ones, not as many, uh, you know, lower dose products. So people are taking products that they, you know, their friends recommend to them, but they metabolize those differently. And then they end up, you know, in the emergency room because they're having an anxiety event or something or a psychotomatic event. These are the things we want to mitigate for people so we can kind of get out of the shadows of this, uh, you know, this as an illicit substance. So that's why I think it's extremely important to be able to, and by the way, it's not just about cannabis, it's about any substance that you take. You were telling me about acetaminophen take two. Well, you know, for some people to maybe tax their liver, some people they may need four, maybe they're at rapid metabolizers, but they found through clinical trials that as you mentioned, there's a sweet spot that if you take this, you're most likely not gonna harm somebody. Doesn't mean it's gonna be efficacious, you're not going to harm anybody, most likely. And that's the first step in an FDA process. And that's the first step that we have to get to in cannabis to make sure that we mitigate those conditions. So then we can get focused on efficacy. So let's take all of that and try to translate it, translate that into a commercial setting, right? Into A, product development, B, product marketing. Um, and I'll share a fun old marketing uh, story about of dosage, right? So Alka-Seltzer, right? Plot, plot, fizz, fizz, one of the more successful marketing campaigns ever, um, was actually a function of a business decision, which is that they wanted to sell more products. The original dose was one. They didn't actually change the product at all. They just said, hey, you should start taking two of them now. And they turned that into a marketing campaign, right? Instantly doubled their volume of sales. Um, now, I'm not saying that, that that's what you should be doing. But how do we take because this is a this is a nascent environment for people a you have to educate people you or or a product manufacturer that wants to have your seal needs to educate consumers of the value of of doing the testing and understanding their own body better mm -hmm. and then the next step is they somehow need to integrate that into their packaging 
Um, and you, I think you've got a portal where people can discover products that are in line. That's correct. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, but, but you have to, you have to get people to that portal. Right. Um, and most people are going into dispensaries. So how do you cross this chasm of, of getting to the point where you can educate a bud tender about what this particular, let's say I have started a new product and I have like a, uh, what would you call it? Like a profile that I would put on there that like this product matches this particular profile. Right. Correct. Yeah. Um, where are we at in that cycle for, for, for this information? Yeah. I mean, it, it all depends on the states or the countries. So I'll give you a couple of examples where I think it's successfully being utilized. And I'll tell you where it may, it, there's room for improvement. So let's say Brazil. So Brazil is a fully medical country. A doctor can prescribe cannabis in Brazil. However, and we're still training doctors all the time, they may not know cannabis that well. So mm -hmm. in order for them to say, I believe based on my research, cannabis can be something you can use. Now, I recommend taking an endodna test because that way it'll show you what to take, how much to take, and then we can pinpoint you to these products that are available for your shelf. So that is a great way to be able to utilize that. In California, where we have a recreational uh, platform, and in Florida, it works differently because it's a medical state and fully vertically integrated. But in California, you actually going into a dispensary and, and entrusting a bud tender, like we talked about before, to show you which products may be best for you. Well, how do they know that? First of all, we can't make any claims, so we don't know if it's uh, really therapeutic or not. Number two, uh, dosing is by the package. We don't know what that dosing is individually for me. And number three, nobody can ask you or shouldn't ask you, are you on any medications? Are you taking any supplements? So there should be a layer in between that that actually allows an individual to say, okay, I'm going to take my DNA test or I'm going to upload a uh, raw file from my 23andMe. Now, when I go back to my dispensary, I can actually tell the bud tender, hey, can you show me all the products that you have that are maybe one-to-one -one, or maybe they're 20 to one or maybe there's products that actually are prominent in Lunalu and beta-creophylline because I need something to reduce my stress and anxiety uh, but without being sedative. So now that you kind of have your formulation, you should be able to uh, connect that with products that are on the shelf. Now, in full disclosure, we've already, we also have eight patent pending formulations that we've uh, developed and we license those formulations to manufacturers around the world. So if it's a product that they want to manufacture with actives, uh, THC, et cetera, they can get our, our, our formulations and use those and you know, white label them uh, under their branding. But the idea is that the challenge in the industry is the lack of uniformity. So because I can get a product in California that's similar, I cannot get that same product in Pennsylvania. The testing protocols are different in different states. So in order for us to be able to have this industry move to the next level, looking at maybe a nutraceutical type of industry, besides pharmaceuticals or looking at individual molecules, this is a complex plant. You have over 400 different constituents that we identified. Plus, we're complex. Our genetics are different. Our epigenetic expression is different. So getting people to align with those is difficult. But at the very least, you have to create an equal playing field. So the testing standards, as you mentioned, terpenes. Well, why are we not testing for cannabinoids and terpenes across the country? What are the standards? 
That's something that should be done for any nutraceutical. I go get a label in my vitamin shop and in, or I get my, uh, my vitamins in my vitamin shop. I look at the label. Okay. It gives me all the nutritional supplement facts. This should not be different. If I go to Pennsylvania vitamin shop, it'll be the same exact product. So that standardization needs to happen in the entire industry. And that way we'll be able to help people much better and understand because we're looking at uniformity of products besides what labels on the brand. Okay. So today I could go, uh, I could take one of your tests. I could upload my DNA. You can give me um, a, a map sort of, of what my interactions might be with different types of products and dosage levels. Um, you have some formulations that you've licensed to people that match those. Um, you have some products that uh, that aren't your formulations that kind of fall within the parameters of sort of recommended personalized recommendations. Um, right. So for me, I'm in California. I could go to your site. I could, I, let's say I've done my test um, and you would say, okay, here's some products that, that are good for you. And you'd point me to some potentially local dispenser or delivery service that would carry that product. Yeah, correct. So the, the way that it works, it gives you a percentage of match. So it'll show you that, you know, this product that's a one-to-one or whatever it is, it, it's a 78% match. Uh, we're integrated with different services like Leafly for Surma. So you can go in and see which dispensary closest to you will carry that specific product. Or you can just go into a dispensary and look at their menu. Now, the thing, the only caveat to that is flour. And we, we got to be really, really careful when we talk about flour. Because it can show you that a certain, you know, cultivar or strain, and we can, we can talk about that too, yeah. has a certain profile of their genetics and their terpene profile. However, that batch doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be that specific profile. So you have to still look at the C of A for that batch. So if I'm looking at a cultivar called forbidden fruit, normally if I go into a database like Leafly and I look at forbidden fruit, I'm like, oh, well, that is my sweet spot. That has the right terpene profile for me. But when I actually go into the store to buy the dispensary, well, the, the test results are different. And the reason for that is because we slap these names on these cultivars that really are meaningless. Uh, they're really marketing pieces because there is no more land race uh, you know, cultivars. They're all inbred and, uh, and there's uh, hybrids of these different things. So that's the thing that we, yeah, yeah. So interbred, yeah. So, so we have to be really, really careful of understanding that this whole notion of indicas and sativas and all that stuff, uh, they're, all, they're all hybrids. And so you have to look at the terpene profile based on that, see which way it's leaning, like a little bit more stative, more indica leaning or more sativa leaning, but you have to actually look at the, the test results of every one of these cultivars to see what are the results. Because even in a grow, in a cultivation facility, you can have genetic drift. You can have a little more light on one and the other. And how you cure the plant can express those terpenes. So having different humidity, different temperature, different ways, it'll actually express differently. Even if it's the same exact batch, same exact cultivar. Sure. I mean, that goes back to grapes, for example, right? There's there's a people when, when you're cultivating and growing grapes, you know, there's a they, they manipulate the water content in the soil to, to make the, the plant, you know, produce more sugars or do different things at different times. And, and you end up with a very different product. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into uh, sativa indica at the top of uh, less information uh, than strain and then cultivar. 
Um, okay. I think most people, everyone has heard of Indica Sativa. And I think at least within our industry, people are um, maybe the broader consumer audience isn't, but most people, uh, at least that I speak to, understand that, that those labels are, are tend to be misleading because there's a lot of variation in there. Um, and then you have strains, which suffer from an issue of slap a label on it. Um, anyone can name anything, whatever they want. Uh, and then what is what happens when we get to using the, the descriptive cultivar? Well, <clears throat> it's either a cultivation variety or a chemical variety. Uh, Dr. Ethan Russo, it's my second time quoting Dr. Ethan Russo. He said that a strain refers to a virus. Why would we call this amazing beneficial therapeutic plant a virus? It's not. It's a cultivar, a cultivation variety, of a, or it's a chemical variety. They, they're produced as chemicals. So I don't know where we came up with a strain, but maybe we just have to start getting away from that. And, and in general, like this whole indica sativa thing, it, if, you, if you really start looking at the background of thousands of years ago when they discovered the first real true land race indicas, well, they've actually were found in what would be sort of the Kashmir uh, region of Southeast Asia now. And you look at those plants and those plants actually were, uh, they were in a pretty harsh climate. And when they grew, they grew shorter, they grew different fatter leaves. And the reason they actually excreted these terpenes from the, the research that was done is to make sure that they actually deter their natural predators that were in that space. They were secreting their essential oils. So the natural predators, the bugs, whatever, or whatever who was eating them would deter them from eating that. And if you look at those, they actually had this musky, diesely, if you smell them, smell. They were more, mer very heavy myrcene, very sedative plants. And if you look at the other uh, cultivars that grew in more humid uh, you know, climates like uh, South Africa or, or in, the, in the islands, they grew differently. They grew uh, tall, skinny to the sun, the leaves were smaller and they produced a different type of, of smell. And those are the original like Durbans in South Africa or the, or the Mauis that grew in Hawaii. However, we crossbred those so many different times. The original Mauis were high in THCV, which is now we're looking at as an appetite suppressant. Maybe I, there's still some research going on. But because we crossbred so much for a higher THC yield, we bred out maybe the other therapeutic cannabinoids that are associated with that. So that's what we have to start looking at. We have to forget the whole indica sativa. We have to look at the buckets. So if, if the terpene profile is more leaning towards that limonene, pinene, those give you the boost up. If it's leaning towards linalool, myrcene, terpenoline, that is more sedative and calming. So those are the ways we, we should be able to classify. Once again, testing. Testing has to be uniformly, uniformly uh, initiated throughout the entire country. I'll give you an example of what Germany doing. Germany actually is covering cannabis with insurance. So you have, these are the conditions that they cover. You go through, you fill out a form. It goes out, insurance approves it. Then you go through the process. And these are, they don't have a lot of choices there yet, but these are the ones that are being recommended for you to choose. And you have to come back a month later and see the doctor and see how it's working for you to maintain insurance coverage. So there's different countries 
that are actually implementing and looking at maybe the mistakes that you know we made for sure Canada made and maybe states like uh, California that could be improved and there's uh, you know since the global market there may be others that are doing it differently or better now do you think from a, a marketing perspective because I wear a marketing hat most of the time so I always come back to this um, you know, moving entire industries and moving governmental bodies is difficult slash impossible. Um, and I think this is the path that you're on now, but, you know, as a, as a private company, it seems like what you would want to do is, is create, um, a, a sense of like a certificate of sort, right? like a seal of, even though the broader world is not paying attention to these things, these set of products are almost like. I mean, or it's a little broad, but organic or or biodynamic wine, right? Which is the thing right. that some people care about. Um, but there's a category of products in the marketplace that that certain consumers, once they've been educated, can look for on the shelf. And maybe it's only 10% of the products on the shelf at a dispensary. Um, but, you know, uh, without being able to change government regulation, the only other real path is is getting people to, you know, use the power of their wallet and get consumers to to push that way, right? Um, am I, is that kind of the angle that you're going? Yeah, I mean, we, we have an endo align badge that okay. shows that they're in the marketplace. Uh, and that's, that's definitely an area we're going, but you're right. I mean, we're not looking to change. And, and in some emerging uh, markets, we are, we have the ability to work with governments, uh, like in Costa Rica, et cetera, they're just starting this. So we're actually on the, on the, the ground level, but in uh, in the U.S., we're not. So we're not trying to uh, change governmental agencies' minds. What we're trying to do is maybe work with healthcare professionals. So, uh, like we partner with a company called Canicare Docs, and anybody mm -hmm. that gets a uh, a card for uh, for medical cannabis can now get a bundle with a DNA test. So now that your doctor's recommending cannabis for you, now you can get a little more. Because look. The research says most people uh, try about three to five different products before they sort of find what works for them. Now, you're spending money for those three to five products. What if one of those products gives you an adverse event? Depends who you are. Maybe you'll go back. Maybe you'll wait some time to go back. So this is a way to be able to guide you more precisely in that. If people understand the value of precision medicine, we do it for other things. And, and out, like I said, outside of cannabis, I would like a more personalized experience. And if people start asking, demanding for that across the board, I believe that, you know, genetic and epigenetic, um, genetics and epigenetics will just be part of the lexicon. People will start using that, you know, in the next five years with, with the process and the, the progress of artificial intelligence, uh, you know, chat GPT, all these different things, what's going on, we will, and precision um, uh, medical clinics that are opening up all over the place, looking at, uh, you know, functional medicine, these are the ways to be able to get a more personalized uh, experience with whatever you're consuming. So I want to know which vitamins work best for me, which supplements are, work best for me, what genetic predispositions do I have? And this is a way to be able to look at your own health and wellness and extending your, your own health and wellness and your endocannabinoid system is a huge part of that. And it is truly a personalized experience. Yeah. Um, we might need to come up with like a 
catchier phrases than epigenetic expression, uh, which I think will will trip some people up. All right, here here's here's my here. I I'm not a marketing guy, so I'm gonna need, right. I need your help. So I always tell people you when you're born with your DNA, you get fifty percent from your mother, fifty percent from your father. So some of the genes think of yourself internally as a fuse box with a bunch of on off switches, a ton of them. So okay. when you're born, some of them are turned on. So you're like the ones for your skin color, your eye color, your hair color. Other uh, switches are turned on based on lifestyle. So what you do in your life can turn those switches on. Some of the switches we want to keep off. If somebody has a predisposition to a cancer, well, we want to make sure that whatever we do in our life doesn't turn it on or alcohol dependence. You know, if we don't know this, yes, we know there are uncle and our grandparents and everybody else, but we really don't know that about ourselves. So the action that you take with your life can actually determine which switches we turn on and off. So the switches of turning on is your epigenetic. Your genes have your encoding. So that's the information. And the information that goes from the cell with messenger RNA will send that message to turn that switch on or off. Maybe a little too sciencey, but am I getting closer? No, there's something there. I don't know if we'll get there in 10 minutes. Uh, maybe we'll we'll have another conversation. Um, but uh, no, it, it is a fun thing to think about. You know, you look at, you know, look to, because cannabis sits in between many worlds or encompasses many worlds, right? So a lot of people take some of it and, and look at the alcohol industry and some, you can look at CPG for some stuff and you can look at pharma, pharmacy for some things. Um, you know, if you look at the larger brand names and the marketing messages that they have, they, they, I mean, people have spent lots of money doing this, um, but coming up with, you know, short things, right? Like, you know, light beer. Okay. It's not any actually lighter. Like that's, that's a word that we all understand now, but that was a function of marketing. Um, and right. So like, you know, like non-drowsy formula, um, so yeah, we, you know, we can, we'll, uh, maybe we can brainstorm another time about, about ways to. But we, we wrote, we, our tag line was, we, we trademarked this cannabis is personal. And yep. I, like I, I do, I have a podcast called everything is personal. And so it's not just cannabis. Everything is personal. Why, why do I, why is everything like take two of these and call me? And, and it's, it's an interesting thing that happened during COVID, uh, you know, people telemed wasn't something that everybody did, but during COVID, you were forced to do that. And I think one of the things, the positive part of that is that people started having a collaborative conversation with their healthcare professional. And the more you work on yourself, the more you can have alignment. So take two of these and call me in the morning was yesterday. Now take two of these. Well, why should I take two of these? What do you think? What if I, what happens if I take three of these? What happens if I take one? How is that going to affect anything else? Is that going to hurt my liver? Do I have to take something else for that too? So having this collaboration with your healthcare professional really actually helps individuals and helps the healthcare professionals too keep them on their toes because they learn a lot more. Because every single time we deal with healthcare professionals, it's like, do no harm, right? But if we're doing no harm, but we're also looking at, you know what? I started seeing these people and they seem to be doing really well with this. Why? And the why is in the research that we're doing. Not only are we involved in the research that we're doing, which is observational, we're also involved in a 
clinical trials. So we're in a phase two clinical trial with Harvard Medical. Every single person that comes to McLean Hospital gets swabbed and uh, it's a phase two already. And then we're in, uh, we just Wait, published- Before we move on, what is that? That sounds interesting. The... Uh, it's phase two clinical trial on anxiety and, CB and CBD use for okay. anxiety. So that um, one- mm -hmm. And so actually we, you touched on a couple of them. Um, PTSD, fear extinction, those things are interrelated. Um, anxiety, maybe alcohol dependence. What are the other sort of the, of the top 10 things that you've identified from a genetic perspective that cannabis can have a positive or negative influence on? And let's hold off drug interaction for a second. Let's just assume yeah. no one is on any medications at all. What is that, uh, the top sort of five or 10 list of? Yeah, it's stress and anxiety, as you mentioned. Uh, it's cognitive function, it's mood and behavior, so depressive uh, states, mm -hmm. it's pain, nausea, and sleep. Those are probably the five major bucket areas where cannabis, where your DNA plays a role and where phytocannabinoids or, or uh, your endogenous cannabinoids actually play a role as well. So if you're looking at those specific conditions, uh, it's been cannabis, uh, phytocannabinoids have been extremely efficacious in those areas. And those are the areas where your genetics actually play the biggest role. So uh, cognitive function, does that mean you've got a, uh, a recipe to make me smarter or uh, learn how to uh, play better? <laughs> well, you don't need to be any smarter. Come on, man. Oh, geez. Come on now. Focus. Uh, yeah. Things like what? ADHD. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's the reason why I started taking cannabis in the first place. When I was diagnosed with ADD, when I was uh, 13, 14, I think, they put me on medication. And for me, like that medication took out any, any feeling like I could focus, but there's no, there's no sense of self. Uh, at least that was my experience. And when I discovered cannabis, and my ADD is like, um, you know, when you have a million tabs open your computer, which I always really? do, that's, yeah. that's what's going on in my brain all the time. And with consuming cannabis, it actually helps narrow that and allows me to focus. Maybe I'm doing two or three things at once instead of 16 things at once, multitasking. You know, so these are the things that you understand about yourself where cannabis can actually be extremely beneficial. Uh, you know, mood is a, is a big one too. My, my friend was going through a really bad divorce and uh, he's not a huge cannabis consumer, but he was consuming cannabis during that time and called up and said, you always talk about cannabis is good for mood, whatever. It's making me feel more depressed. I'm like, well, what are you, what are you consuming? He's like, cannabis. Well, I'm like, <laughs> or specifically, I don't know. So yeah. he gave me the packaging and it was a very, if you look at it based on his genetic profile, it was a very sedative profile. And we saw in research that people that have the predispositions to depressive moods, uh, they actually do worse with a heavy sedative uh, cultivar or, or chemical variety. Right. So by modifying his profile, giving him a, more of a lift up, it changed his whole uh, mood and got him out of bed and started, you know, kicked him in the ass a little bit and got him, uh, got him moving forward. But so it's really, really important to understand, especially if you're already under a certain condition that's being expressed, that, that switch has been turned on, well, yeah. what you want to do, you may want to turn that switch down with, uh, you know, phytocannabinoids can actually do that too. Okay. 
Great. But sleep, sleep is a huge one. I'll tell you, a lot of people, I would say pain is the number one reason why people use cannabis, at least uh, with endodna. They come in for pain and we have a care counselor that speaks to every single individual that takes a DNA test. So we have somebody that can actually guide you through the experience and all the fancy words and all the sciencey stuff. They can actually have a conversation and show you how to use it correctly. Uh, so you don't have to worry about that. But people that call up for pain, if you have a conversation with them, well, how's your sleep? Ah, you know, it's all right. It's all right. Well, what's the quality of sleep? Well, I don't know. I don't sleep that well. I wake up three times a night. Well, if that happens, you get on this hamster wheel because if you're not getting restful sleep, then you're agitated during the day and you're on this hamster wheel. You're not resetting. You're not recovering. All these things are really important. So sleep is a really, really huge uh, part where cannabis can play a very, very important role. A mistake that people make is they take too much THC to help go to sleep. So what happens with that is it's like drinking too much alcohol. You can pass out. You can sleep for eight, 10 hours, but you're going to feel like shit. And the reason why is you have active brain. So those, that THC, uh, the anandamide is uh, actually pumping your bloodstream and you have active brain. So being able to take less and a different terpene profile will help you get good restful sleep, that delta, that data sleep that you really want. It's, uh, I see a lot of things uh, on the sleep spectrum of CBN or CBG. Um, maybe that's a longer conversation we have time for. Uh, we didn't really get into the uh, the other. We talked about terpenes, which I think are uh, you can at least smell them. And there's less research on the minor cannabinoids, though. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. I'll answer the question really simply, and we, we don't have to dive into it. We made a decision. You must have a peer review reference for us to be able to report on. CBN has no peer review references yet. When they become available, and we can point to a PubMed study, then we'll include CBN. CBG seems to have a little bit more, and we will be looking at that a little bit closer. There are some studies that are they're finalizing. So as research becomes better and included, mm -hmm. we'll start being inclusive. We're capturing the minor cannabinoids in the in the uh, suggestions and what people consume, but we can't point to the minor cannabinoids for any studies yet. Okay. Great. Well, I'm going to circle back to what I said before. Uh, you've got one, two, six framed photos there behind you. Uh, it looks like there's a car. They're black and white. Uh, what what are what are those photos you got? Yeah. So some of them uh, I got as gifts. So this is uh, the this is the Beatles with uh, John Lennon's Rolls Royce. Uh, this is Black Sabbath, my uh, some of my favorite bands. And the rest of them are pictures that I actually took at shows that were framed. So this is Snoop. All right. Uh, that's Kiss doing a unmasked acoustic show of covers in like uh, in a casino. Uh, that is the Rolling Stones, uh, Mick and Keith, and that is Metallica at the Jimmy Kimmel show. Nice. Those, are, those sound like great experiences. Um, well, we're wrapping up on time here. Um, everyone, thanks for joining today. This has been Cannabis Marketing Live. I'm your host, Jake Litke. We've had Lynn May with us today. Lynn, can you give the audience just uh, if they want to reach out, either your site or you personally, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, so we're endodna.com. Uh, personally, my email is len, L-E-N, at endodna.com. I'm on social Lenmay, L-E-N-M-A-Y, Lenmay DNA, I think, Instagram and uh, Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active. Uh, I have a book. 
So if anybody wants to go to Amazon and, and buy a book, it's called Making Cannabis Personal. Uh, it's right here. There you uh, go. Dr. Ethan Russo did the, the, the forward for this. But uh, the, the book was written because my business partner said to me, I want to I read a book that I from LAX to uh, JFK. So it's a short read. And it's got a bunch of pictures of me long hair there, if, uh, if anybody cares. What Perfect. Look like. And then uh, I have a podcast called Everything is Personal. And uh, you can get that anywhere you listen to podcasts. Syndication is pretty, pretty good on podcasts now. Great. Well, thanks again for your time today. And uh, we'll chat again soon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through. I know I mentioned it before. I didn't get a chance to do it, but I will go through the process and get my DNA map done. And then uh, we'll, we'll see what I've been doing wrong all these years. Hey, the next show, let's go over live your results. And we'll okay. Share them with everybody. Perfect. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Sounds Great. Good. Thanks, Thank Lynn. You. Thank you, everyone. Bye.